This is a, this is a reminder that the Holy Spirit speaks through the entire body, not just the pastor who's prepared a monologue for you this morning, right? So the Holy Spirit is speaking, and let us be listening this morning. Uh, your bulletins uh, are a little different. You can put your pens down this morning because uh, there's no, it's no fill in the blank this morning. Uh, I filled it out in hopes that you might take it home with you, put it on your fridge, your nightstand, wherever you might read it. Um, and these terms, these what are uh, gifts from God, uh, these are going to be talked about throughout the rest of Romans. So my, my heart and desire was really to kind of offer something that you might uh, read and think about and return with in the, in the coming months. Uh, today, today we are going to focus on faith, and faith through story. That's what Paul is doing here with Abraham. He's presenting his story to communicate about faith. I have a story of my own about faith. You see, I, I was a, my mother raised me Catholic, and uh, I, remember, I remember going to Mass and sitting on those wooden benches, kneeling on the kneelers, watching her hold her rosary, waiting outside the confessional, um, walking up, having her receive communion with her hands crossed, crossing herself. I still cross myself when I receive communion even here. At the time, that was very mundane to me. <laughs> I did not enjoy it. I remember getting a donut for being good. <laughs> I remember playing with my trucks and one time letting a glass bottle roll down. It was like a theater like this, roll down <laughs> to the front, all the way to the stage. I, it was so embarrassing for my mom. At that time, I, again, it was, it was not something I valued. It was not something that I thought was important. And it wasn't until my family hit a significant crisis in 2002 did my mom's faith become a lifeline. I needed to put my faith in my mom's faith to get through to the other side. And in truth, we all have those kinds of stories. We all have a story of somebody whose faith that we saw and we couldn't see what they saw but we put our faith in their, in their faith, right? Everybody's got a name, even now. I mean, let's, let's even just take a second. Like, do you have someone whose name is that's on your lips, a relationship, mother, father, brother? Speak it out. Speak it out right now. Who, who's someone whose faith you put in their faith? And in truth, everybody has a name. Everybody has a person, not just the people who spoke. Everybody has a person. And the thing is, you might not even, not even know it, but you have people in your life that are looking at your faith and they don't know how to get to the other side and they're putting their faith in your faith. We all have these stories and that's what Paul is doing here with Abraham. Paul is presenting Abraham in chapter four and presenting his life story or part of it and he's focusing on Abraham's faith. It's a very interesting move because the chapters one through three have been like an argument, right? It's been very intentional. It's basically cut everybody down to the same level. It is not by your works. It is not by your lineage. It is not by what you do. It is, you're, you're, we've all fallen short of, of the grace of God. We are all sinners, and at the base of the cross, it is level. That's what Paul has done at this point, and then he drops in Abraham in his story. 
this story of faith. It's a very interesting move. And at the same time, in an interesting way, he also, he's also presenting Sarah, Abraham's wife, to us. So let's, let's look at Abraham. Let's look at Abraham and his, his prominence in the Jewish thought and Jewish culture, and it might show why Paul has chosen him to represent faith. So Abraham was this devout Jew. He was the archetype. If, there was, if, if Jews were being made out of a mold, it would be Abraham that was chunking them out. Because Abraham, he was, he was a self-justified Jew by his works that earned him a right to be in covenant with God. There's these writings called the Apocrypha, and they kind of sit next to scripture in uh, Jewish culture. And the Apocrypha says that Abraham did not need grace. He perfectly fulfilled the unwritten law and thereby earned his covenant with God. So you can almost see why Paul chooses Abraham as this model, because he knows that, that when Jews see the name Abraham, they're going to think, okay, he's been, Paul's been cutting us down for the first three chapters, but now he will justify us by our relationship to Abraham. We are his lineage. He is our father. We will be justified by who he is. But Paul does the exact opposite because he's leveraging. He's leveraging that they're thinking that. But he, op- he offers that Abraham was not sinless, but in fact he was a sinner. And he was made righteous on the basis not of his works, but of his faith alone in God's promises. So he makes the, the exact opposite argument on the Jews. So what is this, what is this promise? What, what is this faith that Abraham had that makes him so significant? Abraham, he comes into the, into the scene on Genesis 12, and it's right after the Tower of Babel in Genesis 11, which I, 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 just, I just want to digress to that for a second because it's, I don't think it's accidental that Abraham comes on the scene right after the Tower of Babel. Tower of Babel was this civilization that they made a discovery, an invention, bricks and mortar. I mean, come on. We, how would we ever see that as an invention in these days? But at that time, bricks and mortar were a significant thing. It seems that no other civilization had it. So what they did, they said, let's use, let's use bricks and mortar to build a tower to the sky and make a name for ourselves. There's these overtones that they want to be their own gods, maybe even use the invention to conquer. God comes down and puts that away, and he spreads these people all over the world. And then, next chapter, God's speaking to Abraham. God tells Abraham, go, I have a land prepared for you, just go. And through that land, I plan to bless the whole world. So you see this juxtaposition that Tower of Babel is uh, people wanting to make a name for themselves, to be like God, to conquer, but then you have Abraham being called by God so that the land that he inherits will bless the world. And Abraham he believes. It says he believes. And when, God, when he complains to God, I have no heir. I have no heir to which to give my inheritance to. It says that God told him, I will give you a son made of your own flesh. He's 85 years old. His wife is 84. 
I will give you a son of your own flesh, and more than that, I will give you, I will give you generations, progeny out of you, as many as the stars. And it says that Abraham believed. It says that Abraham believed, and God looked upon Abraham, looked at his heart, and credited righteousness to him. See, righteousness, righteousness is a new right relationship with God. I know it's a big word. It's like it's kind of a theological word. But think of it as a new right relationship with God. And this new right relationship with God, you cannot earn it. You cannot shape it or fashion it. You cannot earn it. It is simply something that is a gift, a gift to you and me through faith, faith alone in God's promises. And Paul makes the point that this righteousness was given to Abraham before he was circumcised. See, the circumcision is so significant in Jewish culture. It is the sign that says you're in. But for Abraham, he was declared righteous with God He was in right relationship with God through faith before he was circumcised. So what does that mean? That Abraham is the ancestor of the Gentiles, of all of us. And the promise of a new relationship with God is available to us. But then he goes a step further, and when he receives receives the, the covenant with God, he is circumcised, making him the ancestor of the Jews. So Abraham is the ancestor of Gentiles, and the Jews, and I would say, I would even go as far as saying that Abraham, he is the father of the church. The church didn't just start in Acts, it started in Genesis with Abraham, who showed that it is simply by faith that we come into a new right relationship with God. And this, this faith this, that Abraham has had, it starts a new religion. This religion shows that it's simply based on a relationship with God and faith alone in his promises that earns us righteousness, not through works. Got an amen. See, so this is what makes Abraham so significant to us. Because he shows, he has redefined. He's redefined faith faith alone. But this is where it gets interesting because uh, verses, verse 23 in our Romans 4 says this, but the scripture says righteousness was credited to Abraham and it wasn't written only for his sake. So this moment, this experience of righteousness coming through faith, it is not just for Abraham alone, it's for others. And I would say to you that the first other that it was for was for Sarah, his wife. You see, in Genesis 12, when God tells Abraham to go, God doesn't speak to Sarah. At least the narrative doesn't say so. And in Genesis 15, when, when God says, I promise to bear a son through your flesh and many generations will come from you, the narrative doesn't say that God spoke to Sarah, just to Abraham. So, Sarah had to have faith in what Abraham was hearing from this God. And if I were Sarah, I'd be like, what gives? What about this God? We have a tent full of idols, right? This is a polytheistic 
culture, right? They have a tent full of idols. Why is this one getting prominence? Why at 75 are we listening to, to this God that is telling us to leave our land, which is just unheard of? This is a nomadic culture, right? Like, if they leave their tribe, leave their home, leave their people, they're literally walking into isolation and likely death on the word of this new God. Who is this new God? Nevertheless, Sarah was in a position to put her faith in Abraham, who said, I believe in the promises of this new God. And I think it's significant because I think at this point, understandably, I don't know if Sarah believes in this new God. She can't, she's yet to put her faith in this new God, but she does put her faith in Abraham, who puts his faith in this God. In the movie The Big Short, Michael Berry, he's a hedge fund manager. He discovers that the, uh, the housing market is standing on these subprime loans, and these subprime loans are junk, and they're going to they're gonna reset themselves in 2007, and his, his estimation is that when they reset the, the housing market and even the, the economy is going to collapse. So he does this crazy move, and he actually bets against the housing market. He actually gets investors from his hedge fund to put a billion dollars of investment up against the housing market so that when it does default, they win big. So what happens is that there's a lot of strife and the movie kind of shows how, how, what of a struggle and not sure if this whole thing's going to pay off, but in the end, it does pay off. And Michael Berry is proved right. And the housing market collapses in quarter two of 2007. And that billion-dollar investment turns into $2.7 billion of profit. See, here's the thing. When the faith of the front-runner is confirmed, then all who have faith in that front-runner, their faith is confirmed as well. So in the case of the big short, those who had faith in Michael Berry's faith that the housing market would collapse, they were rewarded with this huge payout. When Barry's faith was confirmed, so was their faith. So we have faith, so, so all that have faith in the front runner, their faith will be confirmed with him. But there is a, there's a big difference here because it really matters who we put our faith in and what we put our faith in. You see, the investors, they had faith in, in Michael Barry, who had faith in economic collapse, in order to gain more money. But Sarah, she had faith in Abraham, who had faith in God's promises in order to be a blessing to all people. We cannot serve both God and wealth because they both want to be our masters. And just like that, we're back in Genesis 11 and 12, the Tower of Babel and Abraham. One wanted to be God and conquer, and the other wanted to believe God and be a blessing. It matters who we put our faith in, and then when our faith is confirmed, it will be confirmed with theirs too. So who do you want to be confirmed with? Let's not be great risk equals great reward kinds of people, because the reward will be immediate, and it will be monetary. 
you will forego righteousness for riches. Let us be faith through faith kinds of people where the reward is a new right relationship with God and with others. We see that when Sarah becomes pregnant, Abraham's faith is confirmed, and so is Sarah's faith with him. God has given me laughter, she said, because that's what Isaac literally means, son of laughter. And you you all remember that Abraham and Sarah, they both laughed at one point when God suggested in their old age that they would have a child. They both laughed, but it's so ironic because now the son of laughter, Isaac, represents their faith bonded together where it was Abraham and Sarah at one point. Now, Isaac has come, the son of laughter. He is the new reality. Their faith is confirmed and bonded together. Sarah and Abraham are given the gift of a new right relationship with one another and with God. So do you see, do you see how faith comes through faith? And how righteousness, a new right relationship with God, comes on the basis of that faith? I mean, we just had a a baby dedication. That is the representation of faith through faith. Children will look at our faith and put their faith in our faith because they're not sure yet what they're putting their faith in. But they can see us. They can see you. They can see our faith. And they will put their faith in our faith regardless if we want them to or not. Stop looking when I get mad. So, but there's, a, there's kind of an elephant in the room here. And actually, honestly, my administrator asked this to me this week. And I just couldn't shake it. What if it doesn't work? What if what we put our faith in doesn't come to fruition? Does that disprove or implode our faith? And I would say by no means Because faith is not based on the circumstances, it is based on the promises of God. So if things don't go as we hope, we re-up hope in God and ask God for more faith so that we can continue walking that road with God. And I would say here, consider Salem. What if that does fall through? Scott and I are leading us uh, to Salem because we believe that it is what the road that God has before us. But what if it does still fall through? Will we be shattered for having prayed for it, for having pursued it, for having opened the possibility in faith? Will you all be worse off for, for putting your faith in our faith as your leaders? By no means, I would say, because all true faith is from God. In all circumstances, the believer does not waver because their faith is from God, And for God, if we are pursuing Salem faithfully, believing it is God's will for us, and I believe that we are, then even if it falls through, I believe God will credit our faith to us as righteousness. Together, we lean into the unknown in faith so that we may mourn together, we may celebrate together, we may have a new right relationship with one another and, I, and also with God. And that is a gift from God that only comes through faith. For we are the church. We are the church of faith. We are a people. We are not a building. Amen? Amen. And this week, Pastor Richard, 
he, he offered a, a parable to us in teaching team about a building, about a house. He said, a person owned a home that was destroyed in a storm. Because of injuries, that person went to the hospital to get care. And while they were gone, a, re, a builder came and rebuilt their home in faith. When the home was completed, they went to the hospital and they said, your home, I have fixed your home. You may return. And that person was left with a choice. They have a choice. They can stay in the hospital in unbelief and disbelief that this builder's word was true and they can nurse their wounds. Or they can believe the builder and believe that they now have a new home to go back to. This is faith through faith. And this choice comes to us today. We can choose to be Tower of Babel people, to have faith in ourselves. We can, we can be Michael Berry's investors, and we can put our faith in wealth and monetary things. Or we can remain in the hospital and have faith in seclusion, faith in safety. Or we can have faith in the builder, the great builder, and return home. A home that Jesus has made out of the tent of his own body when he was stretched out on the cross. And a home that Jesus makes in our very own hearts. We can make a choice to exercise our faith into Jesus Christ who had faith before us. If we choose to go home, know that we have made this choice by faith. All faith comes from God. Many of us in our hyper-individualistic society believe it is our burden to have enough faith so that God will see us, bless us, care for us, and the like. I tell you, it is not true. All faith is from God. Any faith that you have is from God. I envision, I envision the Holy Spirit in the same way that the Holy Spirit hovered over the, the, the void, the lifeless void of creation, is the same way that the Holy Spirit hovers over our sin-ridden, lifeless bodies and breathes faith into us, speaks a word of faith into us, and entrusts it to us. The faith of Jesus in us is entrusted to us. What will we use it for? What will we do with that faith? It is entrusted to us in hope that we will return that faith to God. Return it to Jesus, whose faith we ride back to God. This Jesus, the great front runner of the faith, he displays his faith by coming to earth, becoming human. Philippians 2 says he divested, he released the abilities of God, not the character of God, but the abilities of God to have the human experience. The Spirit came upon him at his baptism so to empower him for his ministry, and he had faith in the Spirit. He even had faith when he went to the Garden of Gethsemane, and he prayed on his knees to God, release me from this cup, but not my will, yours be done. And he fulfills the law of love, by taking love to its ends, 
on the cross. Sin came through one man, so it is so fitting that salvation would also come through one man. Sin came through the forbidden truth on, on, the, on the tree, so it is fitting that salvation would come through Christ's body on the cross, the first fruit of righteousness in resurrection. You see now, Scripture bears out there are no coincidences. There are no coincidences in this journey of faith, just like in my journey of faith. For in 2002, when my family was in crisis, and I was destroying my body, I was giving away my faith into all sorts of manners of things. But when I saw my mom pick herself up from a heap, and I guess I would I'd say that different now, when I saw God pick my mom up from that heap uh, and exercise her faith in Jesus Christ, I put my faith in her faith because I had nothing else to put it in at that time. And it was through my mom's faith that I came to Jesus Christ. And it was through my mom's faith that she would win over her daughter and she would win over her husband. And my whole family came to faith through my mother's faith. And who did she put her faith in? Jesus! This is a Sunday school answer. Come on! So friends, today we have an opportunity to recognize that faith is not our own. That is why Abraham is put into this, into this part of the story. We have been cut down by Paul in the first three chapters. We are at the foot of the cross. We are, have fallen short of the glory of God. We are sinners. And it is only by the faith putting our faith in a front runner, that our faith can be confirmed. That front runner is Jesus Christ. The way, the truth, and the life is available to us, but we must accept that faith is not our own and that it is all a gift. So it is to the one that, gener that gratefully receives the gift, faith will be given unto them. If you do not have faith, you can receive it as a gift. If you have but little faith, ask for more faith because it is Jesus who gives it to you. We can turn from the idea that we work to get this, to get our faith, that we, do, we follow the law or we follow the church rules, all these things so that we may receive salvation and grace and faith. It is not true. It is a gift. So this morning, if you have been laboring for a short time or all your life with this thought that faith is something that you work at, today is an opportunity to turn from that thought and thank God for the gift of faith in you. So uh, this is sort of spontaneous, but if there are any from the, from the prayer team that perhaps sign up to do Sunday morning prayer, I'd like you to make yourself available here at the front for all who will be willing to receive prayer. So please come now if, you, if you're here. This morning we have an opportunity to receive prayer, to, re to turn our faith to God, to receive it and return it likewise. So this morning, let us, as the worship team returns, let us gratefully accept 
the faith of God in our lives and return it to him in faith. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, thank you for sending your Holy Spirit upon us, confirming the faith of Jesus in us, empowering us to accept this gift gratefully, and encouraging us to direct it, to direct it to your son Jesus, whose faith we ride right back to you, Lord God. We desire to be in your midst. We desire to be a new, right relationship with you. So may you declare us righteous through faith. Heavenly Father, you have given us this gift. You have given us this gift. May we but accept it. Receive our praise from you now, Lord, our lifted voices to you, for we love you and we are thankful for all that you have given us. In Jesus' name, amen.